إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله so we've been going through this book, Bahjat Qulub Al-Abrar, this book that mentions various ahadith from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in different topics. And we've been going through some of these ahadith, learning about different aspects of the sunnah. And so tonight we carry on and we'll mention another two or three ahadith from the sunnah regarding various topics so that you increase your knowledge of the sunnah as a whole. You increase your knowledge of this religion in various aspects as a whole. So the first hadith we're going to begin with tonight is the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu qal qala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam la yafruk mu'minun mu'mina in kariha minha khuluqan radiyya minha akhar this is under the chapter regarding the righteous behavior between the spouses and living in goodness and righteousness for the men with their wives. And this hadith talks about that particular topic, about living in harmony and living in righteousness and piety with the wives. Al-Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Sa'di rahimahullah says, هَذَا الْإِرْشَادِ مِنَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لِلزَّوْجِ فِي مُعَاشَرَةِ زَوْجَتِهِ مِنْ أَكْبَرِ الْأَسْبَابِ وَالدَّوَاعِ إِلَى حُسْنِ الْعُشْرَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ فَنَهَا الْمُؤْمِنَ عَنْ سُوءِ عُشْرَتِهِ لِزَوْجَتِهِ here the Prophet ﷺ in this hadith prohibits the men from bad behavior towards their wives. Prohibits the men from having the bad behavior and occupancy with their wives. And whenever the Prophet ﷺ forbade you from something, then it means the opposite is what you need to do. So you've been prohibited from the poor occupancy with your wives, the poor behavior and attitude towards your wives, which means the prophetic guidance is to be rightful and to be pious 
to be righteous, to be good in your morals and your behaviors and in the method and manner that you live with your families and your wives. وَأَمْرُهُ أَنْ يَلْحَظْ مَا فِيهَا مِنَ الْأَخْلَاقِ الْجَمِيلَةِ وَالْأُمُورَ الَّتِي تُنَاسِبُهُ وَأَنْ يَجْعَلَهَا فِي مُقَابِلَةِ مَا كَرِهَا مِنْ أَخْلَاقِهَا Even if it be the case, and as humans, of course it may be the case, that there are things you do not like, it could occur between the spouses, that there are certain things you do not particularly approve of from your wife. And it could be the case the other way around too, that the wife has in her opinion certain things that she does not particularly approve of from her husband. In certain characteristics he may have, in certain uh, behaviors he may have, and the same for him, he may not approve certain characteristics or behaviors or things or ways that his wife may have. But if that be the case, and of course it can be the case, as humans it may be the case that there's an odd little thing that the husband does or the wife does, something minor but it's in their habit that you don't particularly approve of. It can be the case. But the Prophet ﷺ says, do not make those minor affairs that in our human nature may occur and we may have opinions about, do not allow those affairs to come to the fore. Do not allow them to become the major issue. Minor affairs, side affairs of this nature, it is not the issue. Rather you remember and you think, and you ponder over the goodness that you see. So the husband thinks and ponders over the goodness he has in his wife, the piety that he sees from her, the righteousness that he sees from her, her nurturing and raising the children in that good manner, looking after the affairs of the home in a good manner. He sees all of this goodness from her. And often there is a large amount of patience that is required of the wives more than the husbands in certain aspects. It could well be the case, that is often the case for many, that the women when they get married, they may have to leave where they were born and raised in their cities, in their towns, and they move to the city or to the town of where their husband now is, where they have now married. That in of itself requires a degree of patience from the wife that the husband will not understand. The husband, that is his home, his town where he's been raised. Now the wife, it may be the case, not always, but it may be the case she has come from a different place and she now moves to that area. That in of itself requires a great degree of patience from the wife in now coming and seeing this new place and settling into a new place. 
So there are various things the husband needs to remember that he may take for granted. He needs to recollect the different roles Allah has placed upon the husbands and the wives. He needs to remember that the wife, she may be at home for lengthy periods of time, looking after the affairs of the home, looking after the affairs of the children, whilst he is out at work and other places. Then this is another factor he needs to remember. So that when he sees something which may be, for example, he views it as something that is not of patience from his wife, that his wife is being short-tempered perhaps, or that she is talking in a bad manner perhaps, then he needs to remember all of the good, and all of the sacrifice she has made, and all of the goodness and righteousness and piety in practicing her religion, guarding the home and raising the children. Remember all of that goodness that he has, and how Allah has blessed him with this wife. So these occasional slips that may occur, and as humans they occur from us, you do not allow them to become the major factor. You do not allow the short slips here and there which occur from us all, to become major points that you create arguments over, or you create uh, uh, disagreements over, and anger boils over. Shaitan certainly seeks out the smallest of things. Seeks out the smallest of things to try and create that discord between the husband and the wife. So here if you remember the advice of the Prophet ﷺ, إِنْ كَرِهَ مِنْهَا خُلُوقًا رَضِيَ مِنْهَا آخر. Even if you see something in your wife that you don't really approve of, some mannerism of hers, then remember the overwhelming goodness and righteousness and piety that you have with your wife, that you see in your wife. Remember that righteousness and do not allow the shaitan to pick out the smallest of affairs to blow them into an affair greater than it is. So remember all of the goodness that you love in your wife. وَنَظَرَ إِلَى السَّبَبَ الَّذِي دَعَاهُ إِلَى تَضَجَّرُ مِنْهَا وَصُوعِ عِشْرَتِهَا رَآهُ شَيْئًا وَاحِدًا وَإِثْنَيْنِ مَثَلًا وَمَا فِيهَا مِمَّا يُحِبُّ أَكْثَرًا So even when you might see the odd thing that occurs from your wife, for example, some short-tempered word maybe, some other characteristic or behavior maybe, the odd thing that occurs, you do not allow these odd things now and again to become issues. Do not allow these minor affairs and odd things to become issues. Rather you remember the great goodness that you have in this marriage and in your wife. فَإِذَا كَانَ مُنْصِفًا غَضَّ عَنْ مَسَاوِئِهَا لِضْمِحْلَالِهَا فِي مَحَاسِنِهَا The Shaykh says, if you were just, you the husband, if you were just, 
then you would recognize that this one odd shortcoming here and there, and we all have shortcomings, this one odd shortcoming from your wife here and there, it is nothing compared to the great amount of goodness that she has demonstrated in piety and righteousness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in raising your children, in guarding and protecting your home, in fulfilling your rights. You will recognize that this one minor affair is nothing compared to the goodness that you have. So if a person remembers that type of attitude, the good attitude, pushing aside these odd shortcomings now and again, then in that way, تَدُومُ السُّحْبَةِ وَتُؤَدَّ الْحُقُوقِ الْوَاجِبَةِ وَالْمُسْتَحَبَّةِ That is how the continuation of suhba, here meaning the relationship between the husband and the wife, it will continue and grow and become stronger, that you allow the odd shortcomings not to become issues. And that is how you will continue to fulfill them the rights of one another, the obligatory rights, the supererogatory rights, the mustahab rights, and you will not allow the normal, natural, human shortcomings that we all have now and again to become issues. And if there is something that really annoys you and gets on your nerves, then instead of making an issue of it, you try and see what you can do to rectify it. See what you can do to try and rectify that situation, rectify that shortcoming that you may see, but not to make issues of it and arguments of it. It is from the shaitan that he strives to cause the corruption between the husband and the wife. أَمَّا مَنْ غَضَّ عَنِ الْمَحَاصِنْ وَلَحِضَ الْمَصَاوِئِ وَلَوْ كَانَتْ قَلِيلَةً فَهَذَا مِنْ عَدْمِ الْإِنصَافِ As for the one who magnifies these shortcomings and they become in front of his vision, blocking his vision, and he forgets about all of the goodness then that is the one who is certainly being unjust. You are being unjust for all of the patience your wife has shown in all of the goodness and the righteousness and the piety, in patience in remaining in the home and fulfilling the rights, patience in raising the children, in guarding over your rights, fulfilling your rights. All of that you forget it because of one error that may occur because of one shortcoming that may occur, then that is certainly a lack of justice from you. That is what the shaykh says, فَهَذَا مِنْ عَدَمِ الْإِنصَافِ وَلَا يَكَادُ يَصْفُ مَعَ زَوْجَتِهِ وَالنَّاسُ فِي هَذَا ثَلَاثَةُ أَقْسَامِ People when it comes to these issues between the spouses are three types. The highest, the best of the people, are those مَنْ لَحِظَ الْأَخْلَاقَ الْجَمِيلَةِ وَالْمَحَاسِنِ وَغَضَّ عَنِ الْمَسَاوِئِ بِالْكُلِّيَّ وَتَنَاسَاهَا The best of the people are those who 
who recognize and put their focus onto the goodness of one another. And in particular now talking about the spouses to one another. That they recognize the goodness in their spouse, the righteousness in their spouse, the piety in their spouse. And as for the odd shortcomings, for the odd type of characteristic or behavior or habit that a person has, that isn't anything of any great significance, then they neglect that, they ignore that. And they allow those things to pass. It is human nature, we all have certain habits, certain characteristics. So the best of the people are those who keep their focus and their vision on the overall, recognizing what greatness there is, and what piety and virtue there is within the spouses. And they turn a blind eye, as you say, to the odd shortcomings or the odd characteristics or habits that you may not particularly like. That is the best. Of course, here we're not talking about religious affairs. We're not talking about if your spouse doesn't pray. And so you turn a blind eye, it's okay, he's working, he brings in the money. That is different. That is not something you turn a blind eye to. We're not talking about those types of things. Obligations to Allah and the religion, we're not talking about that. We're talking about characteristics and habits a person may have. Characteristics and habits that maybe you don't like. Somebody slurps their tea instead of drinking it quietly, and it really gets on your nerves that your husband always does that. But, you allow these things to pass, you just go and make the duvet or whatever you're going to do whilst he's drinking his tea. You allow these things to pass. You wouldn't go and end up wanting a divorce because he slurps tea. You wouldn't say, I'm going to leave the house and go to my parents because you slurp tea. These types of things is what the shaykh is talking about. Characteristics and habits a person may have, you allow those to pass, it's nothing major. Make them into a light-hearted affair. Make them into something light-hearted and pass them. But it is not about the religious. You see shortcomings in religion. Those are not ignored, of course. But these are about the habits and the characteristics and... Shortcomings of that nature. So the best of the people are those who will let those minor things pass. It's not a big deal. It's not a deal at all. So you allow those things to pass and do not let the shaitan whisper to you and make an issue out of those things for you. The lowest level of people, the lowest level of people are the ones who make an uh, as they say in the phrase, they make a mountain out of a mole. They make something huge out of nothing. So these minor issues, they blow them up. But you're always doing this, and you're always doing that. And it's something so minor, it is laughable if you were going to go tell somebody else. It would be laughable if you went and said to somebody, I got a problem in my marriage because he does this or that. Something of the most minor nature. 
So the worst of the people are the ones who nitpick all of these small things, but this and but this and but that. And that is the shaitan attempting to bring discord between you. So do not allow this nitpicking of minor things to occur. You have great roles and responsibilities you must fulfill with your family. The wife, your wife, has great roles and responsibilities she fulfills. And if everybody is fulfilling them, the odd shortcoming or the odd characteristic should not be blown out of proportion whatsoever. Instead, the shaykh says, you should allow good thoughts always. Allow good thoughts. So you come home and you notice something hasn't been done as you expected. That the wife was supposed to do something, your wife, but she hasn't done it. So don't assume the worst and say, why? What's going on? Assume the best. That maybe something occurred, maybe she got preoccupied, maybe she just forgot. And the same for the wife with the husband. Probably, if the men are going to be fair here, we're all going to be fair. More for the wife with the men. How many times have you been requested when you go out today, remember to bring back X, Y, and Z? And you haven't. And the next day, forgotten again. And it could be a month before you finally remember to go bring that thing you were supposed to bring. So you have patience over these minor affairs, and you allow them to pass. The worst of the people are those who nitpick and make this into huge issues when there is no need for that whatsoever. The third type of people are the ones who notice these affairs and they deal with them if required upon a just and proper manner to rectify if anything requires rectification. And that isn't an issue. If you see a shortcoming within the spouses, husband to wife, wife to husband, something which is a regular shortcoming, no issue in dealing with it in a good and proper and loving manner between the spouses, in rectifying what may need rectification. But the purpose of this advice from the Prophet ﷺ is that it is required for the husbands to live in goodness and righteousness with their wives and to demonstrate patience in that and not to pick out the minor affairs and create problems from them. And the same for the wives towards the husbands. So it says the narration, if there is something you dislike in one another, then there will be plenty else that you love in one another. Even if there is the odd characteristic, you allow that to pass, there is plenty from the righteousness and virtuousness that you loved each other for and you love each other upon. That love for the sake of Allah, that you are both fulfilling the rights of Allah, that is what you give your focus upon. So this is an advice in this hadith regarding the goodness within the marriage, the goodness between the husband and the wife, and to behave with one another in righteousness, with smiling faces, with happiness, and not to be in a manner whereby you're picking out the smallest of things and creating problems, 
where there is no requirement or need whatsoever for that. And that is exactly what the scholars have mentioned. As Sheikh Ubaid, Hafizahullah mentioned exactly the same thing. These days the most minor of things, it could be the most minor of things that occurs. And it becomes a huge argument between the husband and the wife. Could be the most minor of things such that if you heard about it, you would laugh. Are you serious? Is this serious or is it a joke? Those two are arguing because of that. Yet the shaykh said this is the reality between people these days. Such minute affairs and it is as though some huge problem and catastrophe has occurred in the marriage. So be sensible and understand the rights of Allah. And do not allow the shaitan to whisper between you. Then after that we move on to the hadith of Abdul Rahman ibn Samurah. رضي الله عنه قال قال لي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا عبد الرحمن بن سمرة لا تسأل الإمارة فإنك إن أوتيتها عن مسألة وكلت إليها وإن أوتيتها عن غير مسألة أعنت عليها وإذا حلفت على يمين فرأيت غيرها خيرا منها فَأْتِ الَّذِي هُوَ خَيْرٌ وَكَفِّرْ عَنْ يَمِينِكَ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ This hadith now is on a different topic. This hadith now talks about the topic of leadership and authority. Leadership and authority. Wanting to be in charge. The Prophet ﷺ said to Abdurrahman ibn Samura, Do not... Seek after and ask for leadership and authority. If you desire it and seek it and go after it and achieve it, you will be left to it. You will not be aided by Allah. And if you don't seek it but it comes upon you, then you will be aided. So the purpose of this narration saying at the beginning, do not seek after leadership. أَنَّ الْإِمَارَةِ وَغَيْرِهَا وَغَيْرَهَا مِنَ الْوِلَايَاتِ عَلَى الْخَلْقِ لَا يَنْبَغِي لِلْعَبْدِ أَنْ يَسْأَلَهَا وَيَتَعَرَّضْ لَهَا بَلْ يَسْأَلُ اللَّهِ الْعَافِيَ وَالسَّلَامَ فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَدْرِي هَلْ تَكُونُ الْوِلَايَ خَيْرًا لَهُ أَوْ شَرًّا وَلَا يَدْرِي هَلْ يَسْتَ So when it comes to positions of authority, positions of leadership, being in charge, do not ask for that position and authority. Do not ask to be the leader and be in charge and to take charge. Do not ask for these positions and to be given this authority and standing because you do not know if that will be good for you or not. And whether you will be able to fulfill it or not. فَإِذَا سَأَلَهَا وَحَرَصَ عَلَيْهَا وَكِلَ إِلَى نَفْسِهِ If that is what you want, leadership, and you go after leadership all the time, and you get it, then you will be left to it. You will be left alone upon it. You desiring leadership and you get it, then you will have no aid. 
from Allah you will be left upon that yourself. And whenever a servant is left to his own devices, then he will never be successful. And you'll never be upright and made good in your affairs. And you'll not be assisted upon them. Because seeking leadership has two issues in it. One, الحرص على الدنيا والرئاسة. It shows that this person is somebody who wants the worldly benefits. He wants authority and leadership. That shows that he has a desire for the worldly benefits. Secondly, the problem in that is that you will be left to your own devices. And that's why Umar ibn al-Khattab, he mentioned, his whole life he never ever asked for authority. Never ever did he ask to be put in charge and to be given leadership. Except one time. Anybody? In the battle, there was a famous narration, there is a famous narration, that on one occasion when the Muslims, they left out to go to battle, the Prophet ﷺ said to them, that tomorrow I am going to give the flag of the army to a man who loves Allah and the Messenger, and Allah and His Messenger love him. That night, all of the companions were debating who's gonna get it. Umar ibn Khattab said, that night, even though I'd never wanted authority, that night I wanted it. Not because of authority and leadership, didn't care about that, but because he knew that if he got it, he would have the testification that Allah and the Messenger love him. So otherwise, he and the others never wanted and desired authority. The scholars, they say, there is one exception to that. And that is when you have a situation where you know with respect and humbleness and modesty, you recognize that you are the most capable of doing something. You recognize that. For example, there are a group of Muslims, and for example, they set up a masjid. Now they need an imam. One of you from amongst them recognizes, with humbleness and modesty, that you are actually a hafiz, none of the rest are. You recognize with humbleness and modesty that you've been abroad, for example, or you've sat with the scholars and you've studied. You recognize of yourself with humbleness and modesty that you have the understanding of the fiqh, of the prayer, etc. You recognize you have these characteristics and none of the others in the community do. So with humbleness and modesty, you recognize that really you are the one who is most capable here to be the imam. So then you say to the community, that allow me to be the imam. You are now seeking leadership. However, in that scenario, in that type of circumstance, it's more like a responsibility upon you. You are the one 
who is capable and able to do that. You are the one who burdens that responsibility in that situation. So by you asking to be made the imam, you are not seeking leadership if you're being sincere and genuine. You are in that scenario just fulfilling the actual responsibility that really falls on you anyway. So that is the only type of scenario the scholars have mentioned is not considered as seeking leadership. But otherwise, if you want authority and to be in charge and to be powerful and gain worldly benefits from it, that type of thing is dispraised. And in the narration it mentions, if you seek after that type of thing, then you will not be helped with it. Allah will not help you in that leadership you're looking for. Even if you get it, you will not be given any help thereafter. But if you don't seek for it, and you don't go after it, but it comes upon you, and you take it, you accept it humbly, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will aid you in that affair. And in the final section of the hadith it mentions, if you take an oath, that you will do something, but then you recognize that there is something else superior to that, then in that case, you expiate for the oath you've taken, and you do that which is better. You expiate, expiate the oath that you've taken, and do that which is better. Then do that which is better. As for if a person made an oath or a vow to do haram, then of course it is impermissible to fulfill an oath of haram or an oath which is impermissible in the first place. And this topic of oaths, taking these oaths, vowing upon yourself that you will do this or do that, that if Allah cures me, then I vow I will fast a month of fasting. That type of vowing, is it permissible or not? Meaning you're saying it's haram? Disliked. إِنَّمَا يُسْتَخْرَجُ بِهِ مِنَ الْبَخِيلِ As the Prophet ﷺ said, these types of vows you are extracting some worship from a miserly person. Miserly. You're not going to do worship otherwise? Only now if Allah cures you, you're promising to do worship? You're not going to do worship otherwise? Shows you're miserly. Extracting worship from a miserly person. If Allah cures me, then I'll fast. So you're not going to fast otherwise? This is something not recommended to make these vows of that type of nature. But if you do end up making those types of vows, if Allah cures me, then I'm going to go do Umrah. So then you are cured. To make the vow in the first place was makruh, to make that type of vow. You should be going and doing Umrah anyway, going and doing worship anyway. As for this type of vow, if Allah cures me or my son, then I'll go do Umrah. It shows you miserly. But now you've made the vow, 
and what you had made it upon has actually occurred anyway now, you have been cured. So now, it's wajib. Now you must fulfill the vow you made then. You must now go and perform the umrah then. You have now made the vow. In the first place, you shouldn't have, but you did. And now that thing has happened. Therefore, it is obligatory upon you to now go and fulfill the vow. As long as it was not anything of haram. If you vow, I'm going to cut off some of my family members. The vow is haram in the first place. You cannot go and fulfill a haram vow. And that's why in the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, قالت, قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم, من نظر أن يطيع الله فليطيعه. وَمَنْ نَذَرَ أَنْ يَعْصِيَ اللَّهَ فَلَا يَعْصِهِ In Bukhari, whomsoever vows to obey Allah, then let him obey Allah. And whomsoever vows to disobey, then do not fulfill a vow of disobedience. Do not disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this leads on to the narration of Ali radiallahu anhu, where the Prophet sallallahu said, لَا طَاعَةَ فِي مَعْصِيَةِ إِنَّمَا الطَّاعَةِ فِي الْمَعْرُوفِ There is no obedience in sinning. There is no obedience in sinning. Rather, obedience is in righteousness. Meaning, in the narration it mentions لا طاعة لمخلوق في معصية الله You can never obey anybody in creation if that means it is going to cause disobedience to Allah. We know you must obey your parents. But if your parents say to you, miss the prayer. If you obey them, if you obey them, it is going to equal disobedience to Allah. Missing the prayer. You can never give obedience to creation if it equals disobedience to Allah. Simple understanding. You obey your parents in all what they tell you to do. But if they tell you to do something which is against the sharia, if you obey them, you fulfill your obedience to them, it's going to mean disobedience to Allah, and that is not allowed. And that applies generally, even if your parents were non-Muslim. Even if your parents were non-Muslim, you have to still obey them. They tell you to go out and do the shopping, you go out and do it. They tell you go out and clean the car, you go out and do it. You obey your parents even if they are non-Muslim. But you would not obey them if they requested anything of you that is in opposition to their religion. They request you to come and participate in their non-Muslim festivals. They say all the family is going to get together. You explain to them it is impermissible from my religion to come and participate in this festival which is upon shirk and all types of disobedience. It is completely haram in my religion. I apologize, I'm unable. You cannot. 
But anything else, they say generally come around tonight, we're gonna have dinner, you come join us, family, then go. Obedience. But no obedience to anybody in creation if it means disobedience to Allah. That is what the hadith is mentioning here. لا طاعة في معصية There is no obedience in sinning. There is no obedience in sinning. And indeed obedience is only in righteousness. طُيِّدَ فِي كُلِّ مَنْ تَجِبُ طَاعَتُهُ مِنَ الْوُلَاتِ So every, this applies to everyone who you're supposed to obey. So we're supposed to obey the Muslim rulers. Absolutely we obey them in everything unless they tell us to do something which is in opposition to the religion and it will mean disobedience to Allah, then we don't. You obey your parents in everything unless they tell you to do something against the religion because that will then mean disobedience to Allah, so you cannot. The wife obeys her husband in what he requests of her. But if he requests something of her that is haram, then she does not obey him. He requests her to participate or to do something which is haram, then she must not obey that. She cannot obey her husband in haram, because obeying him in haram will mean disobedience to Allah. Rather in that situation, your obedience is to Allah. You tell him, you tell the parents, the ruler, the obedience, the ultimate obedience is to Allah. Allah has commanded us to do X, Y, and Z. You're telling us to do the opposite of it. It is haram for us to obey you in this situation. So you obey all those who are deserving of your obedience, the rulers, the parents, the husbands, but only in that which is in line with the sharia, anything that opposes it, then you do not have obedience to creation in disobedience to Allah. That is the narration we'll round off on. Any questions up to there?